Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Aaron Tabor, founder and president of No Baby Blisters, which is a nonprofit organization based out of North Carolina that is working around the world to save the sickest, medically neglected pets, as well as the humans and children that call them family. It's not every day that we come across a nonprofit organization with a dual mission to save injured animals and children with crippling diseases on a global scale. But that's what makes No Baby Blisters so special. And that's why we were so excited to bring Dr. Tabor on to discuss the inspiration behind his organization, the negative effects of social censorship, and how they are working to build awareness that they need to make real change. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Hi there, Dr. Aaron Tabor. How are you? Hey, I am good because God's good. It's glad to be here on the Cuddly Podcast. And we're so honored to have you. I know we've been working with your organization for a long time here. And anyone who comes across it on Cuddly, they're going to see what widespread impact that you do. It is really remarkable. We always like to kind of roll back the clock. And I know your inception or the creation of your foundation is going to be a little bit different than any others that we've had on the podcast so far. So can we roll back and say, hey, how did No Baby Blisters get started? Yeah, absolutely. I think our history of helping the sickest of the sickest children has really moved over now into trying to help the sickest of the sick pets. I'm a medical doctor by training. I went into genetic research and came across so many children around the world with super painful, rare diseases, particularly in dermatology, their skin blistering off, 80% skin loss, severe, you know, just severe pain, and started helping them through my faith-based page on Facebook, raising money for them. And then after we got up to about a thousand children with all types of diseases that I never saw in medical school, even at uh, Johns Hopkins, where I went to medical school, I was blessed to get in there. We have a lot of very international, very tough cases that come there. I had never seen kids this sick with this much disease progression. And as part of that, the parents and the grandparents of these children also were very, very sick. So we started helping the grandparents. And then we discovered that the pets were also super, super sick. And we couldn't turn our I away from also helping the pets because for so many people, they're like family members, like my two little Yorkies, Malka and Matuka. So that's how we began helping the sickest of the sick children. Sadly, not on the radar of any of the major charities. These are children that are unhelped by anyone and they live in very poor countries. There is no free health care. You can't walk into the emergency room and get free health care. Just can't be done. And the same thing for their pets. They can't take them to a, you know, any type of pet emergency room or free pet care clinics. It just doesn't exist. And so that's uh, how we are here. We were thrilled when we came across Cuddly. I'd seen your TV commercials forever. My dad said, hey, you should contact uh, Cuddly. 
And so <laughs> literally within him saying that within three days, someone from Cuddly contacted us. I guess you saw us on our Facebook. Amazing. It's like a divine intervention. <laughs> Everyone's coming together. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. To save the precious pets. Absolutely. So it is so interesting. You really are meeting people who are not even just underserved, just like not served at all and helping them, helping animals as well. I mean, like I said, anyone who sees your page will see just how many animals that is. It really is astounding. When was that? When you had started moving more towards animals? It was um, around mid-year last year. And then we, due to the severity of the cases, we had a lot of problems of how sick these animals were of just displaying them on social media so donors could understand the need to save these. As you see, we have some very, very severe cases of like facial cancers with the dog, you know, very, very progressed in their diseases. So in November of 2021, that's when we started working with Cuddly because it really gave us a platform where we could show the truth, show the need, and really show donors that what they were donating through Cuddly was making a real difference in alleviating the suffering and saving these pets. I love that. And I I did want to ask too, because I was kind of going through your website and I was noticing that in the children that you help, you do tend to help those with really severe skin diseases. Is that kind of the same with animals? Do you more so focus on those that have those types of injuries or is it kind of just all across the board? That's a good question. I've always had a big interest in skin because it's the largest organ in the body and it has so many new functions we continue to discover. And it's so much of a big part of how you view yourself, your body image, right? The psychology of yourself, whether it's someone that's fighting acne or someone that's uh, battling psoriasis or for these children with the severe EB, blistering skin disease, epidermolysis bullosa, fancy Latin word, it means your epidermis is blistering off. They have a lot of body image issues, um, particularly if they are fortunate enough to live into their teens, their teeth fall out, they don't have hair, they're blistered in severe pain, so they don't have any normal childhood or early teen years. But as we started helping them, we discovered that through parent groups on social media and other channels as well, that the parents of these children with the sick dermatology diseases, they were also friends with the parents of kids battling really severe facial cancers, rhabdomyosarcomas, untreated hydrocephalus, where these children develop intracranial pressure and their head sometimes is 88 centimeters. You know, that's basically the size of a basketball. And here in America, we're blessed, you know, if your child's head is off, you know, very, very slight amount, you immediately get checked. And if there's any problem, you have a, a shunt uh, placed, but that's not, doesn't happen overseas. So you see with our children, a large variety that have the skin disorders, lack of DNA repair enzymes. These are called children of the night as well as zeroderma pigmentosum. And then also children that have too much skin called ichthyosis, these types of disorders. But we also have a ton of children with uh, cancers and 
we hope Cuddly <laughs> creates a platform to help us help our children at some point because you do such a, an amazing job with how you uh, keep the donors informed. Oh, well, you guys are doing an amazing job. And that does make me just so sad because I think I, I speak for everyone when I say that everybody has body image issues at some point in their life. It's really sad just imagining a child having that so early on. Like that's something that's in their head. That's a thought. And that's just, it gives me chills just thinking about it. Yeah, it's really sad. We hope uh, in the charity to expand to some counselors that we can do some international telemedicine in the sense to help the psychology of it. It is really sad. You'll see them using a lot of AI apps to try to put hair on themselves and things of that nature. Of course, I guess all teenagers are doing that, but you can tell you know they're doing it because they want to fit in. But there is a positivity in that we're working as fast and as best we can to help fund and to develop cures for some of these terrible genetic diseases. Well, yeah. And I know you mentioned it's one thing too, to have that terrible impression of yourself and that idea in your head that it's hard to look at yourself, but then having something to the degree of like social media and society kind of shunning you for the way you look is takes it to a whole nother level that I think no one could really understand unless they've been in that position. You've seen some of the uh, children with the EB blistering skin disease and the severe forms, their fingers and toes will fuse together so they don't have functional hands. And it's really hard. I can't imagine how hard it is to make a post of yourself on social media and then have that blocked as being too violent. I don't think social media companies should be determining who is human looking enough to be included as humans on social media. I highly disagree with digital eugenics. Right. Again, I know it's very different, but we've definitely seen, and I'm sure every rescue has seen how they police what is or isn't allowed to be shown on social media. Just in the ways of animals, I know for us, it's so bizarre. There is like a certain type of image that will get flagged as like, they'll call it sexual. And it's like, an animal <laughs> with no hair or something. And you're just like, I think you are mistaken. <laughs> right. Yeah. We've had almost every situation like that possible happen to our children. It's very hard to understand uh, why. Very hard to do anything about it as well. We're just trying to save kids and uh, grandparents and this very sick pets. And in that case, I'm wondering... I know it's kind of been, I want to say like almost like two years now, but have things changed or have you had to shift a little bit with the pandemic? Yeah, we initially had so many rejected children on social media. You know, the images were called, quote, violent, quote, graphic or, quote, scams, right? A lot of people do not believe these children are real. Even in one of the world's best medical schools, I didn't see children like this. So I can't necessarily blame them for not believing children are real. A lot of people, you know, a very, very small minority will just jump to a conclusion without asking. <laughs> We've had uh, many skeptics. We'll have the patient with the mother make a video specifically saying their name and, you know, to get rid of any type of 
disbelief, and then they become very uh, great advocates. Our biggest shift during COVID was simply we just had to really move to not being able to show the true amount of suffering our pets and children and grandparents are undergoing without any help. Like you said, uh, I love what you said, Bridget. Uh, They're not underserved. They're not served at all. That's why we're so grateful to Cuddly, because with our pets, at least, we can really show how severe, for example, a lot of the facial cancers with the dogs, with the skin conditions really are. So people that want to help understand they're making a huge impact. I know from experience working with other organizations, it's really difficult work to do what you do just in the ways of animals. And then, of course, trying to translate that online. And some organizations choose the avenue of leaning more into like the brighter side of things and not really showing. And we do get a fair amount of people who really flag things and are like, I can't even look at this. It's too much. As far as your organization, Do you feel like there's emotional, like some sort of emotional toll by not being able to translate the stories of these children and animals in like a really visible and accurate way? Yeah, absolutely. We've had the same experience that you're saying as well, too, even with some of our volunteers. To be honest, they can handle looking at our super sick children, like some of the ones I showed you before the show that have full facial clefts. So, you know, they're born with a fissure from their forehead all the way to their chin that can be closed surgically if they had the funders, the donors to do so. And they can, our volunteers can handle seeing that better than they can handle seeing an injured or a super sick uh, pet. Maybe in today's uh, world, people rely on pets so much for comfort and anxiety reduction. I believe uh, pets were created to uh, comfort us. And so when you see someone that gives you unconditional love, like your dog or your cat, it's very easy to empathize with that when you see someone else's uh, pet that is super sick. I can only imagine it's so hard for people to see things online in general, but then when it comes to Seeing it in real life, it's such a different experience, I think. For me, maybe I'm just, I've seen too many animals at this point, but these children, I mean, it's its heartbreaking to see. And it is startling because it's not something that you're aware of that is even happening, probably because they're being censored so much in so many different areas. I can only imagine how hard it is for your team to be like, you don't understand what I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, uh, we're constantly asking to make sure everyone internally at the team is feeling healthy and good about what they're doing. We don't want someone to get uh, depressed or too blue from helping the children. But what we do is so highly satisfying. I can't imagine we save children and pets every single day and grandparents. So we really enjoy it. I do want to ask, do you have a, like a favorite story of a case that you've worked with, an animal or kid? I have two Yorkies, which they are rambunctious. <laughs> Goodness, um, they're sisters. So they're, they go at it in a fun way. But they're so small and fragile that when I see some of our rescues that we're 
underway with Cuddly, particularly uh, the street dogs. It's hard to imagine that my dogs live in the comfort of um, you know having plenty of food and a warm place to stay, that they would be intentionally neglected on the street. And then in a lot of these very poor countries, they're just super congested traffic. So they're in the street uh, begging for food. And we have a lot of cases, as you've seen, that they get hit by an automobile or a tricycle, a motorized tricycle, and they'll have a severe facial injury, some in particular where their jaw bones are completely broken or their nasal nasal bones are pushed up into their skull. These are you know, severe life-threatening injuries that without the help of donors, of great-hearted uh, people, these uh, animals would never be able to recover. So those really stand out to me because I guess the how small and fragile my own pets are, I can't imagine them trying to live on the street, then much less getting hit and, and wounded and being picked up by a pat, you know, a good Samaritan will pick them up and alert us through our channels. I can definitely empathize with that because I feel like my animals can't survive an afternoon without me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's the opposite. (laughs) That is very true. That could be very possible. It is so hard, especially when you see, I know animals here in the United States too. I mean, even animals in perfect fit form have sometimes have hard time finding a home. Are the animals, a lot of them that you work with, adoptable or are they usually currently with a family? Yeah, most of our animals right now are with a family. Overseas in the countries we operate in on five continents, there is a huge, huge need for dogs that need adoption in orphanages. And we hope as our donor base grows, that's something we can expand into, even to the point of uh, whether it's just helping out existing orphanages or building orphanages. There's also a huge need overseas for uh, free vet clinics that could be funded because you really can't walk in anywhere. No one's going to give you free uh, care for your dog or your child. Just does not exist in the countries we operate in. There's also a huge need just for vaccination. We have so many cases that approach us with the parvo virus, but those dogs have a super high death rate with this terrible death, which is in a few days. So it's very hard for us to get help to those. So just basic vaccination programs for dogs. Are there specific countries that you typically work in or are you like accepting all who ask for help? (laughs) Yeah, we accept all who ask all over the world. My Facebook page is a faith page with about 33 million followers all over the world in about 245 countries and territories, major and minor outlying islands. We help people and animals all over the world. We have more people and animals than we can help right now. So we're always trying to figure out ways like uh, such a blessing to work with Cuddly to expand our beneficiary exposure and expand our donor base. I was going to say your email and your phones must be just jam-packed with so many requests. It is overwhelming. Sometimes I feel like we're running in a, a global digital emergency room and we just don't have enough resources to help everybody. So 
We try to focus on the sickest of the sick that we know that we can save their lives. Virtually every child we work with is uh, terminally ill. These genetic uh, diseases they're born with are terminal. There are no cures for them. And almost all of the pets we try to save as well, too. So we try to give the biggest impact for what we can do and always looking and praying for ways to help everybody. Clearly you are. Even with the obstacles I know that have faced you, I mean, it's so evident that the impact you're having is grand. Even if it were just one family, I mean, that is an amazing thing to do. I'm wondering as an organization, how you function, are you more volunteers? Is it a lot of the medical community that's signed up to to work with you or how how do you function as an organization? Yeah, we're all volunteers at present and we have a lot of great-hearted people that dedicate their time. Of course, we have third-party contracting agencies that we use, but we're trying to stay really lean so we can save as many as possible and also research uh, cures. For example, with the children, we don't want to always just send food and diapers. They need that now, many of them to live, uh, including bandages and antibiotics and pain medicines. But we would love to develop cures uh, for them and cures for a lot of the, um, the pets as well. The dawn of gene therapy is here. We're super excited about that and revolutionary changes that are going to benefit our children, our grandparents, and our pets. It's so wonderful because I feel like you're looking at this in such a holistic picture too of like the entire world and not just like limiting yourself and focusing in on one thing, which certainly I think a case can be made where some people refine their efforts and just work on one specific thing. But it does sound like you're treating everything on like a more um, global scale. (laughs) I'm a Christian. I try to live by the uh, words of Jesus. And he said to love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's what we try to do in the ministry, the nonprofit, No Baby Blisters, as you know, it's not of any particular religious affiliation. We help children, like I said, in on five continents, a lot of children in North Africa, a lot of children in the Middle East, a lot of children in Asia. So we help um, people and uh, pets of all faiths. So incredible. Looking at your cuddly page, there are so many stories featured there, but I always wonder if there's really like one, maybe one of the first animals that you've helped. Does you have a story that really sticks with you? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Our very first pet that we saved with the help of uh, Cuddly and his donors was a dog named Tyler. Uh, Street Rescue, a massive, massive facial tumor. I don't see how the poor uh, boy was um, living through life. The cancer had almost taken over his entire face, but uh, Tyler had an extremely great response to chemotherapy. We were able to save his life. So maybe uh, it's your first one that always sticks uh, with you, but we couldn't have done it without Cuddly. These images are so truthful to what Tyler was suffering with that we would have never been able to blur it out enough to put on social media. Cuddly is directly responsible for helping save his life. 
It is so heartwarming too, because I think people see these animals in just the worst situations you've ever seen. And it can be too hard to see. And also it can be so hard to believe that they can carry on and move into a better tomorrow, to a better future. So it's always so heartening to hear those stories of like, it's not impossible. And probably to see like the after photos too. When you take a look at a photo of when you first saw Tyler and he has that huge facial tumor compared to perhaps photos of him now where he looks like a completely different dog. It has to be so satisfying to see as bad as that initial photo was. The comparison is so self-satisfying, I bet. Yeah, it, it really is. Tyler is still, you know, on our No Baby Blisters Cuddly section. You can see him, but his initial tumor was so large. And then just to see it over a matter of weeks shrink down to nothing, it was uh, really inspiring. I get I get chill bumps thinking about it, but, uh, but, uh, I think what, you know, cuddly is so great because it allows you to update the donors. And that's the important thing to prove our promise to the donors that you're donating to save uh, Tyler, that that's going to do their best. And we're able to close that loop and show the donors uh, through cuddly's platform, the end results, something that we can't do on other platforms. Well, and I think that's how we've seen that you've had so much success with Cuddly too, because you see the importance of that, that someone takes a chance on an animal, like by sending you a donation, and then you turn around and say, hey, yeah, this worked out. We all took a chance and it paid off. This animal's in a bet- like better situation now. It makes such a big difference to donors and it makes your community so strong. Yeah, I think the psychology that we came together as a team and we were able to save dogs like Tyler is a very, very uh, powerful. It's a very deep experience for for some people. I think for some people, it's a very uh, spiritual experience, particularly when they help save a child, to help save a human life. When a child's clearly going to die through a massive skin infection, or a massive infection of the shunt from their hydrocephalus surgery that needs to be replaced. And they can see those real tangible results and say, I literally helped save a baby's life today or a pet's life, a dog or cat's life today. It's something really emotional and spiritual for them. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. I know you kind of hinted at like, you've got some goals too. Like, you know, just do little things like cure diseases. (laughs) That small thing. As an organization, I'm wondering if you have some goals in the next few years, what you'd love to see happen. There's so many of these super sick, terminally ill children and pets and also grandparents that are not being helped by any other organizations, any of the name brand organizations that have been around for decades. We really want to grow our charity to the point where it can be a legacy, a charity long after I'm gone, that it can continue to help the most uh, forgotten and medically neglected uh, children and grandparents and pets around the world. And to do that, you have to really have a lot of discipline, a lot of data, a lot of um, great people on your team, and a lot of great-hearted donors that pick up on that vision and to see that 
They're helping the outcasts, the people that are completely forgotten about, the pets and people that are completely powerless because even if they're really super plugged into social media for some unknown reason, they're not plugged into nonprofits helping them. So we want to be that uh, bridge and have it be a persistent and permanent bridge. So we're looking for ways well beyond social media to accomplish that goal. And I don't know who wouldn't want to be alongside you in that journey. (laughs) It's so admirable. And as we've already said, it has such amazing repercussions and gives you so much in return, I think, in itself. What we uh, really love about Cuddly is that we can show the truth of the dire situation the pet is in and show the donors then the journey and then the full results of like what they achieved. We cannot do that on social media with our children. And that is very, very, very frustrating because we can't show what's underneath the bandages. We can't show the blistered skin that's completely blistered off and infected and bleeding with every change. People can't grasp the importance, right? The reality or the importance. I think it's natural for humans, you know, we want to live in our candy-coated world, so to speak. But that once you get into look uh, visiting Cuddly, you know, you'll see that that is a very thin veneer of like what we want to perceive the world as, as this nice, warm place, but and not see what these pets on Cuddly, how they're actually suffering. So you've certainly been a pioneer in providing the sickest pets a way to get help, to get exposure that's not allowed on other places. So very true. It makes me feel grateful. And I know it makes a lot of donors feel so grateful too, because they know when they come to our site that they're helping the sickest of the sick that maybe don't get the attention that they need. And people only want to look back on the happily ever after when it's it's all said and done, but we're all on that journey together. You know, you can't reach that without a community pulling together and, and supporting an animal or, or someone in need. We want to hear about some of the animals you've had in your home a little bit. We always have some kind of fun questions we like to ask. We know your girls sound real sassy. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so currently I have two Yorkies. Their names are Malka, which is a Hebrew for queen. She's about 4.5 pounds and she rules like a queen. Like, let me tell you, she's a, I guess it's a codependent relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and then her great sister, uh, Matuka, which means uh, sweet. And uh, Hebrew, and she's so so sweet, big brown eyes, and a, a fast fast runner. She's about twice the size of Malka, so it's a really fun dynamic. Just when we're out walking or doing anything, just they both have different physical capabilities based on their size. So it's fun to see how they interact with the environment in life. They both think they weigh 140 pounds. Oh so yeah, I can tell you that that's the biggest danger. I have to keep them on a leash because they'll go and. They'll try to, they're very territorial and protective. They'll try to attack a much larger dog. And so (laughs) at one point, uh, this beautiful, probably 120 pound golden lab was just amused that my uh, two tiny Yorkies were encircling him and barking at him. And little Malka had 
latched onto his tail and he was turning around and Malka was flying around like on a, a Ferris wheel on this uh, huge Golden Labs uh, tail. So, but they've been with me uh, for almost 13 years now. Thankfully, they're in great health. None of the um, particular genetic uh, diseases for their breed, no uh, patellar subluxation. They're, they still jump around, jump up on couches. And I have my own special anti-aging formula that I mix uh, from my skincare research and my genetic research. So, uh, they get that every day. I'll let you know in 12 years if it works. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. They're getting uh, premium care. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We should all be so lucky. <laughs> I like to tell people that my dogs take more anti-aging vitamins than they do. How does that make you feel? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. To conclude, we always like to ask, and I feel like you might have a good one here. Is there one life motto quote or something that you kind of tell yourself that helps you push forward in the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so many come to mind, but one thing is uh, there, it's never too late to start a new pursuit or dream. And I would have never imagined less than two years ago that we would be able to work with so many great-hearted donors and also with Cuddly to be saving so many pets and children on a daily basis. I just would have never imagined that if someone told me that uh, two years ago. So give that advice to everybody. It's never too late to start a new pursuit, a new dream. Go for it. And I mean, it's amazing what you've done in two years. So that's something in itself to start today and who knows where you'll be in two years. <laughs> yeah, it's taken a toll physically and time-wise, but it has been the hardest and most rewarding thing that I've done. And that includes my genetic, my gene therapy businesses and other nutrition and pain relief businesses. This has been the hardest thing I've done. The most paperwork required. It's you know very hard. The government makes it very, very hard with so much paperwork. Uh, it's much easier to do an e-commerce or something of that nature. But uh, it's been the most rewarding to save people and to save pets. We're so grateful you did it. Thank you so much for chatting with us. It was so wonderful to hear from you. You two are wonderful. Thank you for the work you're doing and for enabling startups like us to really go out there and make a huge impact almost immediately. We are so inspired by Dr. Taper's mission and his whole team. It's so incredible to see the difference that they're making. And we hope that you take a moment to absorb what they're doing and possibly help. If you want to learn a little bit more about No Baby Blisters, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks guys.